Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 18, and we're going to start reading at verse 21. Uh, Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screens for you. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of the, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he ceased and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you can't already tell this morning, I want to talk about forgiveness. The title of our message today is Turn It Loose. This message may step on some toes, but here's what I know. A spirit-filled believer welcomes conviction if it means that they can serve Jesus better. While I may not know everything about every single person in this house this morning, I know one thing for certain. Every single person in this room has been through hurt a time or two. Men, I don't care how macho you want to appear, and teen boys, I don't care how much you want to act tough around that girl that you want to impress that you have your eyes on, we have all been hurt before. We all know what it feels like. The old saying that they said in, my, said in school when I was growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a lie, friends, because sometimes words do hurt. No one is getting out of this world without scars. So the real question we have to ask ourselves in this equation of hurt is not whether or not we will be hurt, but how are we going to respond when this hurt does come our way? because it will come. A few years ago, I came across, across a quote in the newspaper that I think really summarizes what forgiveness is all about. It said, forgiveness is to swallow when you really want to spit. <laughs> How many of you can testify to the accuracy of that statement? 
We can talk about forgiveness all day long, but how many of you know that putting it into practice is another story? As pastor says, sometimes the Holy Spirit, a slap just comes all over you and it is hard to resist that temptation. This parable that Jesus shared undoubtedly shocked his audience. Peter's suggestion of seven times was thought to be more than gracious when compared to what the modern-day rabbis were teaching during that time because what did they teach? They taught that three times was sufficient. But here comes Jesus. He completely annihilates that idea and basically says, Son, Peter, seven times is just a warm-up. But then Jesus adds even more complexity with his parable because the first servant we are introduced to has a debt that is absolutely incomprehensible. Our one commentator equates the modern day value of 10,000 talents as anywhere, and this is a widespread, but anywhere between 12 million and 1 billion U.S. dollars. Now listen. Even on the low end, 12 billion, uh, 12 million. How many of you have 12 million dollars? I'd love to know you. I don't see any hands in the house. Um, so even on the low end, 12 million, we can agree this was an astronomical debt. This was not a small debt. This was astronomical. In other words, this clearly represents an absolutely unpayable debt. As the king went around examining the work of those that owed him, he wanted to settle accounts with them. And when he came to this servant, he was unable to pay his debts. So he ordered for him, his family, and everything he owned to be sold. The reality is even this would have been far from settling the debt, but it would have at least brought a small measure of justice to this master. Now let me stop right here and draw some connections. You see, you and I are like this servant that owes a debt that cannot be paid. No matter how hard we work, no matter what we do, no matter what we own, nothing will settle the debt. Even when everything this servant had was sold, including himself and his family, it still wasn't enough to pay this debt. What are you saying, Pastor Scott? I'm glad you asked. Listen, you and I can offer our entire lives to the Lord, the best of what we have, that large inheritance that you earned from your parents and your dead uncle and it still won't be enough to settle the debt that we have incurred. It is, a, it is an impossible, insurmountable debt that could only be paid through the shedding blood of Jesus Christ. Yet the amazing thing is this servant looks at the king and says this, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Charles Spurgeon said this servant thought he only needed patience, but indeed he needed forgiveness. This brings us to our first point this morning. It is absolutely unforgivable to be unforgivable. There are many passages of scripture that people would love to remove from their Bible because it does not line up with what makes them happy or it doesn't line up with their feelings or what they were taught at the prestigious university they attended. But friends, I'm here to tell you the word of God cannot be altered by man. And just because you skim over a verse or a chapter or rip the page out of your Bible doesn't mean that it does not exist because this word is a living word. This word intends to do surgery on the heart of every man and woman in order to make us into the person we should be. And I hate to tell you this, but between God's word and you, there is only one that is perfect. Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 is a passage that many wish wasn't in their Bible. This passage is found directly after Jesus 
and taught his audience how to pray by giving us the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Corey Ten Boom once said, Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. In other words, regardless of what your emotions are telling you in the moment, regardless of what you're feeling in the moment, you and I have the choice to forgive. While preaching on unforgiveness, Pastor Jensen Franklin accurately said that many people tend to keep score of everything that everyone has ever done to them so that they can determine whether or not they are worthy of being forgiven. In his words, many people treat forgiveness like a mathematical equation. They like to keep score and keep count of every bad thing they have ever done to them. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about to you this morning. Many people are familiar with a program called Excel. It's a very powerful spreadsheet program that is able to solve complex mathematical equations in literally the blink of an eye. I believe many people have a mental spreadsheet that is keeping score of everything that everyone has done to them, and it is an ongoing spreadsheet. So I made a simple spreadsheet many years ago. I did not make this spreadsheet just for this message, okay? This was many years ago I made this spreadsheet to keep score on some important people in my life, and I'm going to share it with you right now. If you can put on the screen for me. So going dating back all the way to 2013, that's when I decided to put this together. Uh, my parents were late picking me up from band practice, so they earned themselves a column. <laughs> and it didn't happen just one time, it was 2013 and 2014. My spreadsheet will make sure I never forget about that. And I've got a column for my so-called friends because they stole my girlfriend also back in 2014. 2014 was a hard year, y'all. But hear me, I really ought to thank them because I saw her the other day on Facebook and let's just say that time has not been good to her. Katie is a major upgrade, so praise be to God, I won that battle. Tell me he can't take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for my good. I traded that girl and got bumped up to first class. Come on, somebody. And back in 2022, some of my friends had a party and they didn't invite me to it. And I saw the pictures on MySpace and it looked like they were having a great time. So they earned themselves a column as well. Now this might seem ridiculous to you, church, um, but I've got to keep score on our relationship. Now there's a bunch of you that are also have columns. I didn't want to put that out there today. I'm, I'll let you figure out if you're on this list or not. But um, I just went with the most important people in my life here. So this is the only sane way that I have figured out how to keep score. I don't know what else to do. Um, so, and since my beautiful wife is here, this is probably as good a time as any to air out my issues with her. So, um, back in 2018, right after we got married, she started treating me ugly when I stopped picking up my dirty underwear. And notice that took me a long time to figure out. That, that, that was a... Let's see, 2018, one, two, three, three years it took me. I'm a slow learner. Um, and then, after I got used to picking up my dirty underwear, she started feeding me really good, and I got fat, and it's all her fault. So she earned herself a column in the Hall of Fame. And my Cooper, my, my first son, he pooped in the house that one time, and I'm not going to let him live that one down, because Katie was gone that day, and guess who had to clean it up? 
And he probably didn't know it, but I guess he does now up in the camera room. You're welcome, Pastor Daniel. Pastor Daniel even has a column, because back in 2015, he gave me a mean look, and I'm still fuming over it. <laughs> and listen to me today, church. If any of you have a negative thing to say about this message today, don't you worry. I can add a column for you, too. <laughs> that is the great thing about Excel. It goes on for infinity. I can add as many columns as I need to. Now, this might seem ridiculous, but friends, this is often how we do things. We hold on to things that people have done to us years ago, and we refuse to let it go. Pastor Jensen Franklin put it this way, forgiveness isn't about keeping score, it's about losing count. Can I tell you that I'm glad that God doesn't have a scoreboard of everything that I have done. I'm glad that on the day that I said yes to him, he took the long list of my sins and there's a long list that I've ever committed and he nailed them to the cross and he said, Scott, they are paid in full. And not only that, but David says in Psalms 103:12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Aren't you thankful for that? He doesn't even remember them. When he looks at you, all he remembers is, I see the blood. <laughs> he doesn't remember your sins. Don't you wish that we could be like that? That means that God has done away with them. He doesn't remember a single sin that I've ever committed because the only thing that he sees when he looks at me is the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But here is a sad reality for us today. While that is true for every born-again believer in regards to our relationship with God, some of us are refusing to let go of things that others have done to us because we think we have a right to punish them for their wrongdoing. Directly after the servant was forgiven of 10,000 talents worth of debt, somewhere between 12 million and 1 billion U.S. dollars, he immediately went to a fellow servant that owed him 100 denarii, and he asked him very politely, mind you, to pay his debt by giving him a very firm hug around his neck. Now, the language used in the Greek tells us that he was half choked to death, so I'm going to tell you he hugged him real good. To put it into context for us, the debt that this servant owed was one six hundredth. Let that fraction sink in. Was one six hundredth of what the first servant owed to his master. To put it plainly, it was just plain wrong for a man that had been forgiven of such a great debt to now be so unforgiving. I can't speak for you, but I'll be honest, when I stop and count all the things that I have done wrong against God, when I stop and think about everything He has chosen to forgive me of, the wrong that others have done to me seems so minuscule in comparison. If the perfect, infallible God of the universe can find a way to forgive me, then I think I need to do everything that I can, humanly possible, to find a way to forgive my brothers and sisters. Now, I want to make something crystal clear for us today. Whether you like it or not, here's what God's Word says. Again, I want to repeat this to you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, it is unforgivable to be unforgivable. Many people want to focus on the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit as being the only unforgivable sin. But according to Jesus, if you don't have forgiveness in your heart for those around you, on judgment day, you will not find forgiveness from God. 
look at me, that grudge that you are holding on to against that person is not worth missing heaven over, friends. I don't care what they did. I'm not saying it was right this morning. You probably were done wrong. But here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If God was able to forgive us, then we have no excuse not to forgive. I am not going to go to hell because of a grudge. So hear me in this house. I have decided to release forgiveness instead of strife. I have decided to release healing instead of getting revenge. I have decided to do things God's way and place my life into his hands because he has never failed me. And I know that if I am wronged by someone or if I am owed something, it's better for me to turn over to God because I know that God will bring it back around. And in the end, I will be blessed. Holding a grudge against another person is not worth missing heaven. Now, I want you to understand something that is critical for us to recognize when we're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. We are commanded to forgive and we are encouraged for reconciliation. Romans 12, 18. If possible, underline that in your Bibles. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, friends, there are some people that are never going to be at peace with you. Regardless of what you do, regardless of what you say, it will never, ever, ever be enough. But here's what God expects. While you may not be able to have reconciliation with that person, while the relationship may never go back to what it used to be, you have no choice but to forgive them. Abraham found himself in a situation where he had to make a choice. Was he going to allow strife to continue to build or was he going to rise above it and take the high road? We see this story playing out in Genesis chapter 13. Abraham and his nephew Lot were blessed with tons of possessions and livestock to the point that the land could not sustain both of their families. So one day Abraham looked at Lot and he said this, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? So separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right, then I will go to the left. Lot chose the best piece of ground. It was the land of Sodom. But here's what you need to know. God will not be in debt to anyone. God honored Abraham's sacrifice and his willingness to settle the dispute peacefully because little did they know just a few years later, God would completely destroy Sodom because of the heinous sins of the people. All that Lot had was lost and everything that Abraham had continued to multiply. I'm telling you, it pays so far as it depends upon you to live at peace with those around you. If you will choose to do that, God, I promise you, friends, God God will take care of the results. Now, this might surprise you, but sometimes I encounter people that aren't very nice. It's not people in this service. It's the eight o'clock service. <laughs> I think a lot of times it's because they, have, they just haven't woken up yet, you know, and, and the, man, they're a bear at eight o'clock service. And uh, they didn't like that joke when I told it this morning either. Um, so don't worry, it's none of you. But I've had people say things that isn't, shall we say, very uplifting. Their words give me goosebumps, but it's not the good kind. 
Years ago, a good friend of the family, Pastor Hubert Bevel, wanted to encourage me when he found out that I was called to ministry, and I will never forget his words. He said, Scott, being a pastor is one of the most rewarding jobs there is. But I want to warn you, you will have people that you thought had your back stab you and never bat an eye. Let me tell you, that sweet little sister McGillicuddy may look innocent on Sunday dressed in her best with her big flu-fluey hat on and her hands lifted high, but come Monday, she transforms. I don't know what happens. Maybe the grape juice we served for communion was sour, or maybe Lee hit a wrong note in the praise team whenever they were leading worship, but I can tell you something happens between Sunday and Monday. Now again, this is not anyone here. This is just what the pastor up the road told me that his congregation he deals with, but I'm going to tell you, I understand the things that people say hurt. I will admit that it's not easy living for God all the time, but I want you to know we don't have a say and we don't have a choice when it comes to releasing forgiveness because it is unforgivable to be unforgivable. And I don't know about you, but I need God's grace. I need his mercy and I need his forgiveness every single day. Amen. Our second point this morning is just because you can justify it doesn't make it right. Many of us have convinced ourselves that if we can justify our unforgiveness, then it is permissible for us to refuse to forgive. The first servant even appears to have done this in Matthew 18, 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Circle that phrase, owed him. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now, friends, there is no doubt that the first servant was owed this money. That's a fact. But I want to ask you something. I want you to think back to everything wrong that you have ever done in your life. Get a mental picture of all of it. Now, let me ask you, what do you think you are owed in payment for all of that? I'm going to tell you, friends, we all owe or or earned eternal death. But instead of giving us what we deserve, we have been given eternal life. This servant who had been blessed with forgiveness quickly forgot everything he had just been forgiven of and immediately justified in his mind that he was owed. While Jesus was on this earth, he was tempted in many ways. While preaching about the temptations that Jesus faced, Pastor Jensen Franklin mentioned that many people think the greatest temptation that Jesus ever faced was during his 40-day fast when Satan stood face to face with him and tempted him to turn stones into bread. When that didn't work, Satan tempted him to jump off the ledge and allow the angels to catch him. And then last, Satan took him to see all the kingdoms of the world. Notice world. And Satan said, if you'll bow down to me and worship me, then I'll give you these kingdoms. And it's interesting to me because the scripture says that Satan showed Jesus all these kingdoms in a moment, in a flash, in the blink of an eye. Everyone say in a moment. But here's what's interesting. In Isaiah, it says that in God's kingdom, there will be no end to the increase of his kingdom, which means that Satan can show you his kingdom in a moment. But it'll take us all of eternity, and then we'll still be discovering different aspects of God's kingdom. I'm going to tell you that I don't think this was the greatest temptation Jesus faced. I believe the greatest temptation that Jesus ever faced was in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
At that moment, Jesus knew he was within hours of being hung on a cross. That blood would pour from the holes in his hands and his feet caused by those nails. Jesus knew exactly what he would be facing in just a few hours. And while yet knowing all of this, I'm sure it was tempting knowing that he could justifiably get out of doing what the Father wanted him to do. Many people think that Jesus simply did not have a choice but to go through with the crucifixion. But I'm here to tell you that he had free will just like you and I have today. Friends, Jesus did not have to go through with it. He chose to go through with it because of you and because of me. All Jesus had to do is ask the Father to deliver him, and it would have been done. And let, let me tell you, he would have been 100% justified in doing so. Because Jesus didn't need to be saved. Jesus didn't need to be forgiven. Jesus didn't need anything from us. And yet, here's what really wrecks me. After all the wrong that we did to him, Jesus freely chose to go to the cross and die for us. In other words, friends, he forgave us. And again, Jesus had a choice. All he had to do is call for angels to come for him and he would have been saved and we would have been lost forever like we deserve. Jesus would have been totally justified in not forgiving us, but not only did he forgive us, he took it a step further by offering to die for us so that we could be saved. Can I ask you a simple question? Do you really think that people have treated you worse than they have treated Jesus? And if the perfect, spotless, sinless Jesus chose to forgive when he didn't have to, how are you ever going to justify not forgiving someone else? Listen, that's good preaching, Pastor Scott. Listen, if I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist nod or a Methodist cough or a Presbyterian raised eyebrow. I'll take anything I can get this morning. Listen, I love my Methodist and Presbyterian and Baptist friends. I just have to pick on them every now and then. Friends, Jesus forgave us. He died for us. And when you compare all the wrong that we have done to him, to all the wrong that man has done to me, Friends, I'll be honest, there isn't a fraction large enough to accurately compare the two. It's off the charts. Pastor Robert Moore said the highest price that has ever been paid for anything was paid for you by Jesus Christ. Jesus proved that it doesn't matter if you can justify it in your mind. It doesn't matter if they treated you wrong. You don't have a choice but to forgive. Well, Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. They called me a bad name. Well, praise God. You go up to them and call them a good name and bless them. They're giving me the silent treatment. Well, praise God. Why don't you be the bigger person and go up to them and break that? Well, they've been giving me a mean look. Listen, I understand Pastor Daniel does that every week. Well, praise God. Why don't you give them the biggest smile your face can muster? That's what I do to Pastor Daniel every week. I just smile at him. I'm just kidding. We love each other. Just because you can justify it in your mind doesn't make it right. Because here's what I believe Jesus would say. I could have done the same thing when I was in the garden, but I chose not to. It's time to turn it loose, friends, and it's time to choose forgiveness. Our third point today, revenge is not yours. The first servant in the parable thought that he was justified to get revenge on the man that owed him. 
His mind completely forgot all that he had just been forgiven of, the mercy that he had been shown, and he was determined to either get the money that was owed to him or get justice. But friends, here's what Paul tells us in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In her book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, Lisa Turkhurst said, Forgiveness doesn't mean the one who hurts you is freed from the consequences of their sin, but it does mean that we refuse the burden of taking revenge by trusting God to execute His justice with appropriate measures of mercy. The one who hurts you, abused you, rejected the vows and promises they made to you, forgiveness doesn't excuse them, nor does it make light of the pain that they have caused you, but it does free you from allowing what they did to you to cause you any more pain. They've suffered enough, turn them over to God, leave room for him to do what only he's supposed to do. Friends, in our minds, we want the person that has hurt us, the person that has wronged us, violated us, to be brought to justice. But I'm here to tell you the best thing you can do is turn them loose and let God have his way. When we look at the life of Jesus, he always allowed God to have the final word. He was not interested in getting even with those that wronged him. And trust me, people did him wrong throughout his life. There was only one person Jesus came to the earth to get revenge on. And that was from our real enemy, Satan. You need to remember something. While your mind is telling you that your enemy is clothed in flesh and blood because that's who you see with your natural eyes, I am telling you that is not your enemy. Your enemy is the one that is behind the scenes causing a wake of destruction wherever he goes. While you're trying to seek revenge against your brother and sister, I'm telling you that the real enemy, Satan, is standing back watching as his plan of destruction takes hold. I wonder what would happen if the church would stop pointing the finger at those in the pew and started praying in the spirit in unity against the real enemy? I'll tell you one thing. There is nothing more powerful than a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church that is united against the enemy and whose heart is set on accomplishing the will of the Father. I don't know about you, but if I had a choice of either getting revenge on either the scapegoat or the real adversary, I would rather choose getting revenge on the real adversary. And the way that I do that is whenever difficult times come, I lift my hands and I lift my eyes to heaven and I say, Father, I embrace this challenge today because I know that it is going to draw me closer to you. What Satan intends to cause division between you and between me, I'm choosing today that when I look back on this moment, it will just be another example of your faithfulness. It will just be another stone that I can come back to and be reminded of the love that you have for me. I'm telling you, if you'll get in unity with the spirit of the living God, the weapon may form church, but it will not prosper. And on that final day, you will stand and watch as God has the final say against our real adversary, Satan, as God throws him into the lake of fire where he will be bound for all eternity. Friends, that is your revenge. That is your revenge. When we get God involved in the equation, even a negative situation that looks absolutely deplorable has the potential to produce a positive 
purpose. Well, Pastor Scott, I'm not willing to forgive them until they apologize to me because they did me wrong. Well, sweetheart, let me tell you, you might be waiting on that apology for a real long time. The enemy has convinced many people that you can't forgive until they apologize for the wrong that they have done. But I'm here to tell you that you don't need an apology in order to choose forgiveness. God has given you the free will to choose what you want for your life. I think the reason that a lot of people have an issue with releasing forgiveness is related to their need to feel like they are in control and have power over the other person and they want to get revenge. Let me tell you, I think Pastor Robert Morris said it best when he said a lot of people during the worship part of a Sunday service, a lot of people sing, but they don't abandon themselves to God. In other words, you come in in control and you leave in control. You go into your quiet time in control and you leave in control. You have not worshiped, friend, if you don't abandon control to your life to God. That is worship. That is a true encounter. I believe if you will make the decision today to let go of your need to control and let go of your need to get revenge and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and place them into his hands, the weight of that yoke that Satan has tied around your neck will be loosed off of your shoulders right this very moment. Once you get to that place where you can release them to God, let me tell you another benefit of worship. Worship is worrying in reverse. You need to let go of your need to control the outcome of those that have hurt you and allow God to handle it because he knows the entire story better than you do and his justice is justified and it is complete. Our fourth point today, if you keep your eyes on Jesus... It won't matter what's going on around you. When I see drama on Facebook, oh, Lord help me. Or see people get into arguments, I often think to myself, you know, if people would just keep their eyes focused on Jesus and not stick their nose in other people's business, that would solve at least 95% of our problem. If the first servant would have just been focused on being thankful for the blessing that he had received and trust that God would handle the rest, the conflict would have never started. I'm not saying there aren't times when you have to confront someone over an issue. But before you do that, you need to ask yourself, what is my real motive behind me wanting to confront this issue? Is it self-centered? Is it because I want control? Is it because I want revenge? The first servant clearly wanted to demonstrate his dominance over the other servant by choking him. And the entire time while he was doing that, he completely forgot that just a short time ago, he owed someone a much larger debt. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. That means that you need to let go of that grudge that you've been holding on to for a long time because it's weighing you down. And sin, which so closely, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, underline that phrase, uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, I'm here to tell you that if you'll just keep your eyes fixed on your Savior, 
Everything going on around you will pale in comparison. You won't have time to waste being upset about something someone else said because you'll be preoccupied and overcome with the desire just to be closer to him. I don't know if you've noticed or not, and if you haven't, all you need to do is take a very short drive in your car in the villages, and I'm sure you'll discover that our world today is hateful, angry, bitter, self-centered, and vindictive. And the great news is the antidote can be had with just one look. Just one look at that man on that cross who's no longer there but in heaven. Because you can't be angry and bitter after looking into the eyes of the one that has every right to be angry and bitter at us for putting him on the cross. And yet all you see coming out of his eyes is love and compassion. I ran across this quote on Facebook. It said, nothing that is for me will require me to act out of my character in order to get it. The first servant acted out of godly character in order to attain something that was only of earthly good. When, you've faced with, when you're faced with a conflict, remember to keep focused on Jesus. Our last point today, we'll wrap up as the praise team comes. It happened, but you need to move forward. While I don't know what happened to you, I know one thing for certain. Satan wants what happened to you to keep you from receiving all that God has for you. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to allow that to happen. If God has something for me, I want it, and I have decided that I'm not going to allow an ounce of bitterness keep me from it. Satan wants us to dwell on the facts by reminding us that what was done to us was not right. What was said was out of line. And if we allow him to keep replaying that over and over in our minds, it will keep us in the cycle of self-pity instead of allowing God to turn those wounds into scars. We can't change the way that people treat us, but we have the power to determine how we are going to respond to it. Many of you know that I greatly respect Pastor Jim Rayleigh, and just a few days ago, he posted this on Facebook. Move on from those who continually devalue you. Move on from people who will never recognize your worth. Move on from those whose only attachment to you is based on what you do for them and not who you are to them. Move on from people who don't and never will have a desire to live at peace with you Love them from a distance. Pray for them with a pure heart, understanding they are toxic to your soul and leave you with no other resource but to move on. When Satan reminds you of the reasons that you shouldn't move on and forgive, remind him your destiny is too great to spend time dwelling on the past. And while you're at it, go ahead and remind him of his destiny. His destiny is an eternity filled with suffering his, and, but that is not yours. His destiny is an eternity filled with discomfort, but that is not yours, friend. You have a destiny to sit at a table with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that means you don't have time to waste holding on to grudges. Let Satan know that you have a dinner party to get ready for. Psalm 23, verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I here's your destiny friends and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
Listen to me, friends. We don't have time to waste on silly grudges. Don't allow Satan to distract you from your mission of telling others about him. When I look across the table on that day, I want to see others around me that are there because God used me to tell them about Jesus. And as long as I am preoccupied with what someone else has said to me 10 years ago, I'm of no use to the Holy Spirit. If it means that just one more person can know the name of Jesus, then I'm willing to set aside grudges and allow forgiveness to flow from my heart. Because isn't that what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary? Some of you need to be willing to say, as Pastor Jensen Franklin once said, I'm at peace with the fact that you're not at peace with me. You're not going to please everyone, but you can choose to be at peace with everyone, understanding that sometimes being at peace with someone means that you simply have to move on. While church hurt is real and it is painful, there is no hurt quite like church hurt. I've been there, done that, been through it. But I want to, I'm here to tell you and myself this. Church hurt will not be an excuse on judgment day. Because Jesus chose to forgive us and move past the hurt that we caused him. We have no choice but to do the same. Well, pastor, I don't want them to get away with this. What they did was wrong and I want them to pay. Listen to me. If you'll just be the peacemaker and keep the right spirit like Abraham, God will bless you. When it looked like Lot had walked off with everything in the natural, in the end, God blessed Abraham so much that he became the wealthiest man living during that time. All because he was a peacemaker and he kept the right spirit. Just do as Abraham did and move on. If you'll stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. <clears throat> On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.